Hey, it's Tim here. Before we get into the episode this week, I wanted to just first of all thank you for listening to Heritage Explains. Thanks for that download each week, for leaving five-star ratings, and for, of course, leaving us comments. We read them, we learn from them, they matter. Thank you again. Did you know that Heritage Explains has a Facebook page? We're constantly adding things to it from short explainer videos to entire episodes of the podcast. It's just another way you can stay in touch, you can stay engaged, and share heritage research and policy priorities with friends and family. Head over to Facebook.com slash Heritage Explains. That's Facebook.com slash Heritage Explains. Okay, on to this week's episode. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. Voter suppression acts as a means of denying those policies reality, and it is baked into the DNA of America. It has been perfected in recent years, in the last two decades, in, in a way that lets us forget that it's real because it has so many pieces, and that's, that's the architecture. Voter suppression isn't simply saying you can't vote. Voter suppression is both a physical activity, but it's also a psychic effect. Telling people their votes won't count, telling people that the system is rigged, has the act of actually stopping people from trying to use it. The way that people are experiencing suppression right now is in things like Texas limiting drop boxes in really densely populated places where mostly black and brown communities live. It's the long lines outside of polling places that uh, can become dispiriting or for folks who've got a lot of family and work obligations, low income folks, folks of color um, and others that can be dissuading from voting. These efforts to make voting more difficult, it was almost a direct response, a backlash to the election of our nation's first African-American president. And um, those efforts have only intensified in the last three years, and most certainly race seems to be the driving force here. Race absolutely colors this story. Those voices are former Georgia gubernatorial candidate and activist Stacey Abrams, U.S. Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta, and U.S. Justice Department nominee Kristen Clark. The clips were taken from interviews leading up to the presidential election in 2020, where they all made the case that voter suppression is happening and continues to happen in America. Well, if that's true, it is a serious problem. So what is their solution? They're advocating the passing of the so-called For the People Act, or as we've referred to it on several previous episodes of Heritage Explains, H.R. 1. This would completely federalize the election process, taking control out of the state's hands and giving this power to bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. What this bill does is take the worst aspects of what happened in 2020 and try to cement them into federal law uh, all over the country. The key to stopping H.R. 1 is going to be in the U.S. Senate, and that I think is going to be dependent on uh, the filibuster unless 
a couple of Democratic senators realize that this is just a bad bill. That's Heritage Senior Fellow Hans von Spakovsky from a previous episode of Explains, where he spelled out how the so-called For the People Act would be the most consequential law ever passed, fundamentally changing America. But remember, liberals say that we need to pass it because it would fix voter suppression throughout the U.S. But we have to ask, is voter suppression actually happening? This week, Hans joins us again to talk about a new study by the U.S. Census Department that gives us the real data-driven story behind voter suppression in the U.S. and why it's imperative that the so-called for the People Act must be stopped in the Senate. Hans, this week the Senate will mark up S-1, which uh, is the For the People Act. And we've explained uh, H.R. 1. We've done an episode on that uh, earlier this year. Basically, it would totally federalize the election process in America. And we are firmly against that. Um, And we're going to talk about that later in the interview. But I wanted to focus on your recent piece in Fox News, um, which I think really helps frame this discussion. And it's going to give us a lot to consider and talk about as the Senate takes us up. It's called Voter Suppression. Dems flat out wrong. Census data gives a real story about U.S. elections. So before we get into the numbers, what is this census data? You know, what's it measuring and is it reliable? Yeah, the the Census Bureau does a survey after every federal election. So this goes back for a very long time. And what they do is they go out and they see, well, what was the voter registration? What was the turnout across the country? And they break it down by uh, sex and age and race. So you can get very detailed information on who registered to vote and who turned out to vote Hmm. in the last election. And then you can compare that to prior elections to see, well, did voter registration go up? Did it go down? Did turnout go up? Did it go down? And uh, we had a remarkable turnout in the 2020 election. As the Census Bureau says, it was the highest turnout in a presidential election in this century. Yeah. So let's get on to uh, turnout. What is it saying about voter turnout? Well, in 2020, they say the turnout was 66.8%. To put that in perspective, that was almost three percentage points higher than in 2008 when Barack Obama was elected. It came close to being the highest recorded turnout presidential election. It was just short of beating the record, which was 1992, when 67.7% of Americans turned out to vote. Wow. I mean, that, that, says, that says a lot about candidates, the candidates it, running, I think. I mean, that it, says it, it a does. lot about that. Not necessarily suppression. That just says what's driving people to the polls, I think, more than anything. Right. But, but remember, I mean, at one point... Um, I think it was Kristen Clark. Kristen Clark is the radical nominee that the Biden administration has put forward for the Civil Rights Division. And at one point, she said last year that the states were uh, suppressing votes by making it really difficult to register to vote. Okay. Well, the the census survey shows that uh, the voter registration rate of Americans was 72.7 percent. To put that in perspective, That was higher voter registration than in the 2000 election, the 2004 election, the 2008 election, and the 2012 election after the Obama folks had been in charge for four years. 
voter registration is something that the left says we're severely lacking in. What are they saying that we need to do more of? Because that sounds like those sound like good numbers. It sounds like whatever they're doing, it's working. No, it, it is working. But see, what they want to do is get rid of all of the security protocols that are in place for things like voter registration. For example, you know, S1, which we were talking about earlier, puts in all these restrictions on states being able to maintain the accuracy of the rolls and mm -hmm. take people off who have died or moved away because they say, oh, uh, we just don't have enough registered voters. Well, we're, we're having record numbers of people registering because, like, it's just basically true. It's easier to register to vote and easier to vote today than ever before in our entire history. Yeah. It's funny. I was reading a study as I was prepping for this by the Brennan Center, and they're they're on the left for sure. Yes, and they and they you know uh, they say that um, one of the biggest problems is you know clearing out these voter rolls. We have to be careful that we don't remove people from voter rolls who are actually going to vote. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, I said, well, th this census report completely debunks that claim almost because we are seeing that people are not only registering but they're turning out now. Yeah, and, and that was, uh, by the way, remember, part of this myth, this narrative myth per pushed by the left, and this includes, by the way, Kamala Harris, the vice president, Eric Holder, the former attorney general, is that all these supposed voter suppression laws passed by the states are aimed at minority voters. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Right. I wanted right. to get into that because you <laughs> deal with that, that minority groups, the voting. So, yeah, just, just give us a little bit on how we're doing there. Well, like in 2020, 63 percent of black Americans turned out to vote compared to only 60% in 2016. Now, the reason that's important is, remember, in 2016, the Democrats, Obama and Biden, had been in charge of what? The U.S. Justice Department for eight years, yeah. which meant that if there really were voter suppression laws being passed by state legislatures, why, they, they could have sued. Yeah. They could have gone after them under the Voting Rights Act, and yet Obviously, black turnout was higher after four years of the Trump administration than eight years of the Obama-Biden administration. Wow. And, and by the way, same thing for Asians. Asian Americans turned out at 59 percent in last year's election. In 2016, after eight years of the Obama administration, they only turned out at 49 percent. That's a 10 percentage point hike in the turnout of Asian Americans across the country. The narrative of voter suppression, the narrative of, of suppressing turnout is right. pushing one of the most, if not the most consequential pieces of legislation to ever come through Washington, D.C. I want to get into it a little bit more. Just remind us what's at stake with S-1 now for the People Act. Well, unfortunately, the House version of S-1, H.R. Uh, 1, already passed the House, and it passed on a, a completely party-line vote with only one exception. Wow. Uh, Benny Thompson, who's a Democrat from Mississippi, voted against it, sole Democrat to do so, saying that, well, he liked parts of the bill, but his constituents didn't like parts of it, such as it has a public funding program for people running for Congress. So in other words, if you're a taxpayer, your tax money may be used to subsidize the campaign of somebody running for Congress who you would never vote for in a million years, hmm. okay? But, but the worst parts of it uh, are all the election administration changes. I mean, like it outlaws voter ID laws. It tells states that if they have, for example, a witness signature requirement on absentee ballots, they can't enforce that. I mean, it's just one thing after another like that that seems to be intended to make it 
easy to cheat in our elections. From what I've seen, the left is pushing. They're not necessarily pushing that this is going to fix the election issues. They are pushing that. But they're, what they're pushing is sunshine and openness in the process. We're going to expose all these big corporations that are you know, donating money. and stuff. That's kind of how they focus on. So there is a portion of this bill that focuses on that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a whole other section of the bill that makes all these changes in, in federal um, campaign finance laws, but again, in a bad way. Look, political organizations already have to disclose all their donors. Yeah. But what this bill is intended to do is to go after nonprofit associations and organizations, and it'll affect everybody from the NAACP to the National Rifle Association. And the, the intent here is to expose the donors and members of those organizations so that they will be harassed mm-hmm. and intimidated and the support for organizations will will dry up. And, and in fact, it is a clear violation of First Amendment rights mm-hmm. and the associational rights that Americans have to associate wow. with other people who share their beliefs on all kinds of different issues. And, and we've seen this happening now in, in, in this so-called woke corporate America That's right. where they get a hold of information and they say, you can't use our server parlor. We, as a corporation are going to respond to this so-called you know, campaign set forth by this. And so this would basically be institutionalized ability for corporations to single people out like this. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, people always talk about the blacklisting that occurred in Hollywood in the 50s. Right. This would make that seem amateurish by comparison because what you would have going on is um, blacklisting of individuals and the thing that didn't, didn't exist in the 50s, which is these social media platforms that make it easy to intimidate and harass individuals. So this census report, is this something that uh, conservatives or Republicans could actually use against uh, in making the argument against S-1 in passing it? Is this something that they should yes. use? They, yes, they should use it. Yeah. And I, I, what I found most interesting about this, as you mentioned, I wrote about this for, for Fox – there's been hardly any comment on this report I, from left-wing media sources. Hardly anybody has said a word about it because it's so – it counters the story they've been painting. It's so funny you should say that because I did a, quite an extensive search on this report and your piece was the pretty much the only thing that came yeah. up in a Google News search. So that says something. Yeah, they don't. Google doesn't like to put your pieces no. out there. <laughs> they, they don't. You know, the other side doesn't like it when facts actually surface that show that they are misleading the American people, and that's what this census survey does. Voter suppression, Dems flat out wrong. Census data gives real story about U.S. elections. This is a piece on foxnews.com. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, Hans. What else can you tell us of the state of play that's happening here? Is this going to be a sole party line vote where Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker and S-1 passes? What, what does this look like right now? Well, S-1 is about to get marked up in the Senate, which is, as you know, the process by which they make changes through the committee process, et cetera. Um, We don't know yet what um, Joe Manchin of West Virginia is going to do on this bill. Uh, He hasn't made it clear whether he'll vote for it or against it. The one thing he has said is that he's not willing to end the filibuster rule. Mm -hmm. And if the filibuster rule 
uh, isn't ended, well, then um, Republicans have the ability to potentially stall this bill on the floor of the Senate and prevent it from getting to a vote because what a filibuster means is it takes 60 votes to um, end a filibuster, which means you then no longer have debate and you finally vote on the on the bill. And if he's not willing to change that rule so that a, a smaller number of votes can do it, then hopefully the bill will be stopped. Okay. Well, we're going to hope that uh, he holds strong on that because yes. it sounds like he is the he is the sole person that is standing in the way of, of again, one of the most consequential pieces of legislation to ever pass uh, Congress and then be signed in law by, by a president. So hopefully we can keep tracking this. Hans, thank you so much for joining us this week and thank you for your piece. Sure. Thanks for having me. And this week's episode of Heritage Explains is over. Thank you so much for listening. Go ahead and check out the show notes. I've linked to a lot of information that helped build out this week's episode. So log on, check it out. As always, we can't wait to upload the next episode Sunday at 8 p.m. We'll catch you then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.